0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Gavin Hamilton's Euro Road Trip. This episode. Group E, Spain.
1: Hello, I'm Gavin Hamilton, and this is my Euros Road Trip. I'm counting down to this summer's European Championship by taking you on a virtual tour around the continent. In this podcast, we're in Group E... We're travelling to Barcelona to talk about Spain with Guillaume Balagay. Now, Guillaume is well known to TV viewers in the UK for his work on Sky Sports and now on La Liga TV. But he began his career as a print journalist, working for the likes of the late lamented Don Ballon magazine in Barcelona. He's also had a column in the Madrid Sports Daily Ass and lots of other publications. In normal times, he divides his uh, time between Spain and England but since lockdown in March last year he's been in Barcelona all the time and that's where I caught up with him. As well as being a TV interviewer and and interviewing players and coaches for TV, Guillem's a very good analyst of the game and I've watched games with him and he spots things very quickly so I think he's in a really good position to talk about the tactical development of Spain under Luis Enrique because there's been a, a change in Spain recently A tweak in the style They're more direct There's more pressing Luis Enrique has energised the side With lots of young players and, and, and used like the ambition of those young players Being thrown in into the squad To shake things up So it's, it's a different team To the one that won the World Cup in 2010 And, and the Euros in 2008 and, and 2012 With Xabi and Iniesta And, and that generation of Barcelona players they tended to rely on, on control, possession to kill teams off. But Luis Enrique has, has changed direction. He's, he's shaken things up. He's energized the team. And Guillem seems pretty excited about it. And we've had a, an interesting conversation. So grab some tapas, maybe a small glass of Viamontillado sherry. Stick in your headphones as we find out all about Spain with Guillaume Balague. Guilherme, it's it's great to talk to you. We have to start with Spain's victory over Germany. 6-0 in Seville in, in the Nations League in November last year. Now, in England, and, and probably across Europe, we all focused on, on Germany and what it meant for the future of their coach, jo- Joachim Lowe. Um, but we sort of ignored how brilliant Spain were in that game and how they performed. What was, what was the reaction in Spain to that defeat of Germany? And, and what do people think of this current Spain team?
0: Well, the first reaction was like, oh, the Nations League, what a great competition. <laughs> uh, that was uh, uh, 12 hours after everybody really said, who cares about this competition? But uh, there were, as Luis Enrique said after the game, there were already seeds of what we saw in, in the game, in the previous games. So the previous games have been, if I'm not mistaken, a, a defeat against Ukraine, draw against Holland, and a draw against Switzerland with two penalties missed by Sergio Ramos. So, it, against Switzerland, for instance, uh, part of the uh, of the competition, there were twenty shots on goal, and there were a lot of um, ways in which Spain tried to attack, and and there were bright uh, performances by some of the players that then uh, against Germany they went a step further. So, all of a sudden, all the things that Lucianovic had tried to do from backing youth, and this is interesting to discuss actually, Gavin, because. I'll, I'll, I'll put this in brackets for a little bit, and we'll go back to the Germany result. It's interesting what he wants to do with youth. Youth is not just because in a year of COVID or you know, in a long season, a very demanding season for these players, it's better to have players that have got more energy than others. I'm sure that plays a part. But one of the things he does say is that he wants the lack of experience of those players. Uh, he 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 aims to have players that are not particularly experienced because they have we've got a word in spanish they are more inconscientes so they do things without perhaps realizing the consequences of what they're doing and they try things don't they they just uh, they will just go and try things that you normally wouldn't try if you're more experienced so he wants players that are consistent that are fit and that are young and all that Came together against against Germany. A lot of things that were tried, you know, Ferran Torres aiming for a hat trick. What? <laughs> it's like he's never seen you He did score a hat trick. But just generally, how they they just kept going and going and going, and they didn't have enough and wanted another goal and, and yet another one. It was part of of, of that um, atmosphere that uh, that Luis Enrique has created. They are given responsibility. Those youngsters. He reckons he's got around forty players. Mm. Uh, and they're all the same level he modelized things, they're all the same level so if one is injured, sorry another one comes in and, and that's how everybody has to sit another thing he does is a lot of those players have come through the ranks and won the European Championships on the 19 or on the 21 uh, and if he misses something needs a full back, he looks at who where, uh, was the regular in the under 21s Seiko Kureya, who hasn't got a Hasn't won any of those tournaments, but was part of this quarry of players, and then it, it just puts him into the first team. So yeah. that gives you a, a little bit an idea what was what been going on in terms of how prepare, to prepare for an European competition, but also what happened in, in Germany. Just you know, uh, the, the the team was given to the uh, to the unconscious <laughs> or whatever yeah. you want to translate inconscientes to the crazy ones.
1: Yeah, but that you see that team had quite a few players missing I and mean, there was no Busquets there was no Thiago Danny Carvajal was missing as well those guys you would expect to be in a in a starting 11 so he's um, and I calculated that he's he's used 57 players in the 24 games since the World Cup and it's not just the youngsters he's used he's brought I mean he's given the obvious debuts to you mentioned Ferran Torres Ansu Sufati Adama Traore has come in, so he, he's committed uh-huh. to Spain. Um, but uh, he also gave a debut, I saw, to, to Jose Campana from Levante. The, um, he was a kid at Crystal Palace for about seven or eight years ago and then, and then went off, didn't do very much in England, went off to um, Sampdoria in Italy and then sort of gradually put his career together in Spain. But you wouldn't expect someone to, to. Those, I mean, those. Is he is he giving a signal to other players by by calling up someone like Campana?
0: He wants to treat the national side as a as a club, and he's got the, the possibility of changing that squad every time he calls them up. Funnily enough, say in October, November, the the two uh, the two uh, set of games, the squad was quite similar, so everybody took the conclusion that okay, he's got his eighteen and the rest will just depend on form. And actually, it's not the case. He's got 40, as I, as I said mm-hmm. earlier. He just mm-hmm. basically yeah. thinks of uh, of, uh, of having a, a very long squad in which en- anybody who shows, again, consistency, so you, you cannot be one of those guys that appears one game and then disappears three, but that game is brilliant, but the other three, where are you? He doesn't like those players. Campagna, precisely, had had a very good year and a half at, uh, at Levante. And... Not only he's elegant, uh, he's a midfielder with quality, can give a pass, can hold the ball. A lot of things that uh, made him deserve of being in, in the squad, in, in this club squad almost. But it's interesting that Campagna, and that's where uh, has happened to others as well, he comes in, makes his impact, and the reason why he makes his debut at 27 with the national side is perhaps he hasn't got the mentality to say, okay, from here I go to the next level. No, actually, from being with Spain, his level has dropped massively. And then he got injured. Uh, So that is also a test, a test of of mentality. What are these guys made of? If I put them in the national side, what happens to them? And there are players out of those 58 that you mentioned that won't return. And there are others that give something and they do it all the time. And Adama Traor is a perfect example. Uh, He does something that nobody else in the squad can do, that that (laughs) 1v1, that pace, that... Again, that that he tries things that nobody else tries, uh, you know, shoots from outside the box or dribbles that that shouldn't happen. And he's been given the freedom to do that. But because he keeps doing it and and again and again and again, every time he's come on, he's made something, he will be a regular. I I see him uh, making it into the European Championship for sure.
1: Uh, Is it an advantage for Spain now that the, the tournament's been delayed for a year? Because he's now got he's got this chance to, to to use these extra options, but it also means he's created a bit of a monster for himself, and he's got to he's got to make some tough decisions, um, in in May or June,
0: to leave out it's it's a, lot of, a lot of disappointed players in in May. Yeah, you know, Luis Enrique he just he doesn't care. Uh, he's, he's he sees that there is five six teams in in Europe that can actually that they call more or less the same quality, and one of them is Spain. So to win, and that's what he's been putting the team for, and that's why he's returning to the, the national side, having, of course, left for a while, is it's to win. And uh, that means some decisions, of course, it does. Uh, but part of that philosophy or methodology or se- selection process that he's created, part of it is um, it's been fair. He likes to impose not so much strict discipline, but yes, yeah, some discipline, some order, some rules that have to be followed, and he wants everybody to be part of that. He's the absolutely total leader. Uh, even Sergio Ramos admits that and accepts that. And part of, of that is also that he, everybody knows that uh, they will be treated fairly, fairly. If they come in, they're doing well, they will just play. Uh, let's look at the goalkeeper situation, because it tends to be the same uh, three goalkeepers, even though Kepa hasn't been playing. Let's see what happens. But the three of them have been playing. Unai Simon was... Uh, was in golf for against against uh, Germany mm. uh, at a time where you would think expect the uh, hair to play well. No, uh, it creates the competitiveness, and if you're good enough, you play. So that fairness will be accepted by by everyone. Uh, I don't think we'll get to the to the competition and hear him say or any player say, "Oh." You know, I feel so sorry, like, like the, the national team didn't wait for them, but they, they waited a little bit and then it was like, no, no, they cannot come in and, oh, what a terrible decision. No, because it's like 40 guys, so one doesn't come in, sorry, the next one comes comes in, mm. in his place.
1: There also seems to be a lot of national team players playing abroad now, not not just with Guardiola at Man City, although that's, that's a factor, but they were, I remember in the, in the 2010 World Cup squad, there were only three players with overseas clubs. Now it's, I think there were nine in the November 2020 squad. So you've got also players from lots of different clubs in Spain as well. Is is that just a reflection of, of a, the changing nature of the the Spanish league, or is is, is Luis Enrique deliberately picked players, and is he casting his net wider? Do you
0: think? Well, he, he's a manager that looks looks for the top top teams anyway, and uh, and he's been considered uh, the uh, the winger, one of the players that were in the under 21s European Championships win. And because of it, it doesn't matter where he's playing at the moment, he will just uh, take part of, um, of the other of side. And we've gone with, uh, with a manager that, that looks wherever those players are, um, mm-hmm. players that give them all these things that we, we're talking about and who have been in the quarry of, of the national side. But, but also, it's easier than ever to actually see those players, even if you don't travel to those countries. Uh, yeah. And everybody's yeah. aware, everybody's said it, and everybody's discussed it at length that that you go out of your comfort zone and, and, and you become a, a better player, a better person, a stronger player, a stronger person as well. Um, we've gone a long way from, um, tell you a little story. Luis Aragonés wanted to follow, I can't remember who he was, was in, um, he was in England at the time. And Jesus Paredes is number two, rang me to say, look, we kind of watch the Premier League in Spain. Uh, do you know any pop in Madrid? any Irish pop in Madrid that will have sky and will just broadcast one of these games because I want to see this guy. <laughs> uh, Jesus, no, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I'm based in <laughs> London. I don't know when there is an Irish pop in uh, in Madrid. But it was a little bit like that. And I also remember uh, asking Del Bosque, I think, the, or asking players that were in, in England at the time when Del Bosque was in charge to see how often they come to see him, to see them. Zero time. Yeah. The Voska didn't travel to see players. So the first manager that actually did that was um uh, lopetegi I saw him a few times in England, and of course he himself is an admirer of the Premier League and what the Premier League does for uh, footballers, uh, um, and how you know you perhaps don't have a lot of time to to prepare things in training, but you know, those games, uh, the games in themselves just, just add still to your to your body and to your mind and, and this constant 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 90 minutes of, of question marks and uh, and you see them and Lopata told me you see these players going to the national side and all of a sudden the ones that have been in Spain only perhaps especially the ones that are coming through looking smaller uh, smaller in personality and a smaller in, in body so mm. everybody's very aware that what you can get uh, from being abroad and that is obviously mm. an, an important part of, of, of being an international
1: we, we have to talk about Luis Enrique, the man, I guess, because he took time out of the qualifying campaign to be with his family um, as they nursed their daughter. who was terminally ill. Terrible, terrible tragedy. Did the Spanish public know what was going on? And, and how did they react when he, he came back so quickly into the national team?
0: Let's say that uh, we all agreed um, to censor ourselves. And even though we were all aware of what was going on, uh, we just called it personal reasons. And it must have been really strong personal reasons, uh, everybody must have thought, because he's left the national side. Uh, but yeah, it was, it, was, it was very big. I think he appreciated that and uh, took his time off. In his eyes, uh, that allowed him to see who had nearby. And I think there was a, a nasty fallout with, uh, with uh, Robert Moreno. Mm-hmm. who became the national side while, while Luis Enrique was away. Both have got their own very strong versions of what happened. Uh, and um, with Luis Enrique, if, if nothing else, it, it serves you, it helps you understand what he's like. He wants total commitment and loyalty and not an inch of ambition or mm-hmm. of trying to take... Um, take a different route.
1: Just to be clear, he Roberto Moreno was his long-time assistant. Yes. Uh, he, he took charge while Luis Enrique was away from the team. And he was hoping to stay in charge for the Euros. But once Luis Enrique decided he wanted to return, I guess there was no way that it could be
0: resolved amicably. Well, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Because, mm-hmm. The, because of the personalities involved, possibly, no, there was no solution. I think Robert Moreno felt that things could have been done differently. Luis Enrique for him is black and white. He's, he's absolutely black and white. And at that point, and very early on when he saw what was happening and what his interpretation of what was happening, basically felt Robert Moreno is not for me anymore. And he's uh, and blanked him, they haven't spoken since, et cetera. Well, a sign, you were looking for a you know, sign of personality of, of Luis Enrique, well, that, that's it. Um, you know what you get with him. The relationship with Sergio Ramos is another indicator of uh, how strong this man is. And uh, he, he didn't want any doubt in anybody's mind, Luis Enrique, that, that he was in charge. And we've all heard the, how easy it is for Sergio Ramos to spread his authority wherever he is, either with Real Madrid, and, and we know that Florentino Perez hasn't always been an admirer of that, of that authority that he's got over the, the squad and the changing room. But also in, in, in the national side, in times of crisis, when you get rid, of, get rid of a manager just a few days before the, the start of a, of a competition, for instance. He was there, he was present, he was, he was, um, he was a big uh, personality. But Luis Enrique came in and said, you know, I admire you, but uh, this is your limit. This is it. And because Sergio Ramos also likes things clear, black and white is also his world, he just completely understood, and, and he's backing him up, admires him. He never had had the opportunity to be close to him. Obviously, they've, they've, they've had encounters at Madrid and Barcelona, but, but now that they together, they realise that they are very, very similar. They are winners, winners, both of them, who are in the business of helping each other in with the national side.
1: I want to talk a little bit about the, the tactical options open to Luis Enrique. First, let's just take a quick break. Right, back talking to, to Guillain Balaguer about Spain. Is it fair to say that Luis Enrique has, has changed the, the tactical uh, approach of Spain because they, they seem to be more direct, there's more aggressive pressing, uh, there's less possession just for the sake of having possession. Is, is that a fair assessment of where he's taking them?
0: Yes, uh, there has been a transition towards that anyway. I think Lopetegui, uh, we saw a team that controlled games that also pressured high but perhaps chose when to do so. And uh, yes, get possession more often, but sometimes you don't have, you don't have many, many options, uh, unless you continuously break, uh, teams just defend so deep against Spain that the possession is the, the only thing you can do is, is what to do with that. So we, we started to see what Lopete wanted to do with the side after a very successful period, but didn't get to the bottom of it. If you want to have an idea, look at Sevilla. So he's a very balanced side that uh, defends as a unit, attacks as a unit, and Works a lot on patterns of play, so uh, it's not just about improvising. At some point, it is, but there are ways to do things. And I think uh, it's like almost like a positional game, like a Cruyff style football, if you like, in a way. Uh, Lopetegui, is his biggest influence. Is, is certainly Cruyff. And for Luis Enrique, the team needed an extra gear when having the ball. And yes, uh, that requires risk. That requires energy, youth energy, um, and that requires uh, players that are more, yeah, more 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 direct. Uh, it's not long ball because <laughs> we couldn't beat anybody in a 50-50 in the world. But it is about having players that have got a lot of pace up front. Uh, Adamas, Juan, Olmo, of course, Gerard Moreno, Ferran Torres. Those guys are going to be very, very important, which uh, which changes things. Uh, up till now, in recent times, the fullbacks were absolutely crucial for for Spain. They still are because it's still, you know, against Switzerland, it was seventy five percent possession, and there will be games where that will happen. But against Germany, you should, we showed that uh, that it, it's like it's a team that looks like Luis Enrique as a player. He was that mm-hmm. kind of player. Was in he? first as a fullback, mm-hmm. then as a midfielder. He just likes like to go forward. Uh, he didn't understand the um, he didn't understand the, the 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 messing around with the ball so much, uh, and uh, and yeah, it's a reflect of what what he's doing. So if you go back to the season the first season of Luis Enrique de Barcelona, it was the players that asked him to play that way because originally he he had thought more of controlling games, and then you know getting up front with a lot of players, plus Neymar, Luis Suarez, and Messi. But it was the players that said, no, 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 <laughs> just get the ball to them as soon as you can. Mm. And I worked for him and perhaps he identified a lot with, with that brand of football, which was different to what he used to do at Celta, at that was more possession-based.
1: Midfield seems to be the sort of confusing area for me because I mean they're still playing this 4-3-3. They're not gonna move from 4-3-3. But Busquets isn't necessarily the, the sort of pivot that's gonna play every game now, is he? Is he is he can he come in, Can can they can they vary the team? And bring Busquets in and out of the team. What would be the the midfield three for you to start with?
0: There is so many options. I mean, he likes Fabian, uh, mm. the Napoli midfielder. He likes Michel Merino of Real Sociedad in front of a holding midfielder. Rodri has got the advantage of being younger than than Busquets, but doesn't move so freely as as he should as a centre midfielder. So Busquets will be needed. I'm sure, but right. both of them, I would say, they will fight for one position. And then, you know, there's Ceballos or Canales. There's, there's a lot of quality. Uh, and uh, especially, as always, in, in that midfield area, uh, do you want midfielders that can get into the box? For sure. Midfielders that understand well that 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 he's asking for, and all those names that I mentioned, uh, are, mm. are, are, you know, can play that way, yeah. that can score goals, so it'll be a mixture of that because goals, despite despite the the goals scored against Germany, scoring has been and will be the the big issue for Spain, I reckon.
1: Yeah, so it's so looking at the front three, you're looking at pace with with Fati and Adama Tariori. You've got a, a more direct approach, I guess, with with Morata, who who would uh-huh. be would he be the first choice centre forward, or would they, you've got Ferran Torres as well? Different types of player.
0: Yeah, you could you could have with no nine if necessary. Uh, I'm I'm surprised that it's taken him so long to make Gerard Moreno a a crucial feature. But uh, I guess he's thinking if Gerard Moreno is better on is a number nine, but he he gets better plays better on the right hand side, even though he's left footed, and coming in. But there you've got Ferran Torres. Uh, So it's a decision to be made, and uh, as a nine. Perhaps Gerard Moreno doesn't feel as comfortable uh, with, with two wingers. He likes to be involved, doesn't he, in the build up, et cetera. So it's a, it, yeah, Morata is certainly a possibility, uh, but I don't see David Villa. I don't see that David Villa. Um, no, no. And Ferran Torres, if he continues this progression, it'd be brilliant if he, if he scores goals. If there are chances, he will score them. But um, we haven't had, I mean, the, why did we win the World Cup? We could control games. And the two European championships. We could control games. We were very, very good defensively. And that, again, is a weakness in this side. Very good. We hardly conceded goals. And then we uh, scored them when, when it was needed. And that kind of player that, that takes you to the next level, which I don't see in, in this squad. Mm. It's not Morata. It's not Torres. It's not Gerard Moreno. And Sufati. I mean, he's... one thing that uh, Luis Enrique has done. Is to give youngsters uh, the possibility of starting even before being regulars in their own in their own teams, and that has kind of sent a message to Spanish football, not just to to uh, the national side, to Spanish football. Yeah, use youngsters, why not? Look what they can do. And of course, when Fati comes in and scores and make, becomes the youngest player to do so, etc., then you think like, well, actually, there's a reason for it. Well, maybe Fati, when he comes back from injury and still got a month or so mm. to go, well. Actually, not when you bring this out. <laughs> but anyway, um, Ansofati uh, has got what we think, you know, in an act of faith, we think it could take Spain to the next level and be, in my eyes, the most important player in the next decade. But we still think that he, that he can and he will, but we don't know for sure, sure. because we haven't seen it yet. Yeah, so that's that's the figure of missing, and and you mentioned defence as well.
1: I mean, obviously, and you've talked about Sergio Ramos and the importance of him in in the in the dressing room, and he's a, he's a key figure as well at set pieces, scores goals, misses penalties as well. Recently, he's a key figure, but there there seems to be a little bit of doubt over who who, who will
0: be his defensive partner uh, at the back, and and um, are there question marks there? More than a doubt, because I think it's going to be Paul Torres, left-footed, and mm-hmm. they play really well. Is what happens if any of them two are missing. So that's the bigger the bigger gap when uh, when you bring Inigo Martinez in, or or you bring I don't know, Eric Garcia for instance, or you bring uh, Diego Llorente, You're not talking about the same level. So. It's one of those. Uh, fingers crossed that them two are, are, are sharp and ready. Pau Torres is not tested at the, at the highest, highest level, but we know what he can do and he was absolutely brilliant against, the, against Germany, for instance, uh, and, and that should be the partnership uh, with, again, full backs that can battle out this, this two in each position or three, even, uh, mm. that, can, that, can, that can be, again, at the same level. But the centre back and the goalkeeping position Mm-hmm. is one that uh, that you can okay. doubt goalkeepers are a doubtful
1: so Unai Simon came in and played against germany wasn 't entirely convincing was he he wasn't it wasn 't the solution to the, this problem with Da and kepper Kepper obviously has problems at chelsea uh, and and you know may move on Wh- who would be the number one in
0: going into the tournament uh, this is a team that that Counter attacks and sometimes defense very very high. So you need to be very comfortable playing the ball from the back, and you need to be very comfortable outside the six-yard box. And and I I saw you know I heard the coaching staff talking about Kepa as the goalkeeper, but not if he's not playing regularly. He Still may make may, may travel, but and then I don't know. Uh, David Soria was doing well, but now not so much. Unai Simon. It's not convincing because sometimes makes basic mistakes. Uh, And that, again, is mentality because he technically is very, very good. But to be able to maintain that level when perhaps you have to intervene four times in a game is not the same as at Athletic Club where you have to intervene 20. So I don't really know. I mean, it's been interesting that uh, he's actually um, at a time where we were all saying, what is De Gea doing on goal? You know, he shouldn't be there. He played him. And at a time when there was no debate, oh, De Gea will start. He takes him off. Mm. So he, he wants. I think he wants to make sure that he's got two or three players that believe, two or three goalkeepers that believe that they can play there. And the fullback situation is
1: interesting in, in the sense you've got Danny Carvajal, Sergio Roberto on the right. You've got Sergio Reguilon coming in as a new and doing very well at, at, at Tottenham now. Had had a great season. Um, what happened with Jordi Alba because he was playing well at Barcelona and wasn't called up by Luis Enrique? Was that just another example of Luis Enrique's sort of stubborn streak that he he didn't want to call Jordi Alba up
0: even though he was playing so well? I think there's a personal reason there. And obviously he knows him very well from his time at Barcelona. And uh, very uh, earlier on in his time with Spain, we we wondered why, why is Jordi Alba not there? Uh, but he'll be back in the next one, we thought, and he didn't. So... It seems to be even though he's linking up very well with Messi and and uh, doing things that are important for Barcelona perhaps the personality that he's got which is a little bit I don't know childish and relaxed and and whatever doesn't kind of mix with well with what he is trying to create at Spain plus in his 30s now you won't have him going all the time uh, and you know perhaps he gets exposed often uh, I don't know. I remember the Spanish Super Cup against Ireland, the club in the final, to the two goals were partly that, two of the three that they considered partly his fault. So he picks his moments, doesn't he, Jordi Alba? And Luis Enrique wants somebody that appears all the time. So it may have been a personal thing at the, at the beginning. And right now, it's just, it just doesn't fancy him.
1: I'd like to talk a little bit about the 2010 World Cup team and, and their legacy. First, let's just take a quick break. I'm back talking with Guillaume Balagate, I want to talk briefly about the the 2010 World Cup team, the the team that also won the the 2008-2012 Euros. Fantastic generation of players, Xavi, Iniesta, David Villa, Fernando Torres I'd include as well. Um, Only Sergio Ramos, Sergio Busquets, Jesus Navas remain from that squad from 2010. Will subsequent teams always be, compared with that team? Is is anyone ever going to get over that? Or are they there now forever? And, and people have got to, got to just have them hanging over them always. Do you know what? If, if
0: it was England winning it in 2010, uh, you, the following five generations couldn't live up to that. <laughs> because it will be like, it would be completely, I mean, you're still hearing about 66. Hmm. Um, it just wouldn't allow to grow again. Sometimes it's, it's, it's crippling when, when the memory of um, of of a successful past is so fresh in the mind of people. But after those three successes have been three big, big failures, mm. three big failures. And we don't forget the failures. And, um, you know, we're again in England, and I think it's something that all the players admire, in England, the 2010 winners would have been clapped in every stadium, no matter who the rival was, et cetera, and be homaged in every town, et cetera. We did it, we did it with Iniesta, and that's about it. I think mm. uh, the World Cup was forgotten relatively quickly, and I think we would only realize what how big he was as, as time goes by. So what I'm saying with that is that there is not such a uh, such a chain around that memory that uh, that that is weights in the you know in the in the in the in the minds and and, and, and shoulders of of the new generation. So. Um, It was a different time. We all were aware at the time, but more than ever now, that it was an extraordinary generation. We kept talking about, um, we developed these players, right? Which there's an idea of a club at the national side and with the federation and and these players have won at the 18 level, 19 or whatever. Uh, And there is a style and rubbish, (laughs) rubbish. You put together that team, those players and you made them play in a different way and you still would have been one of the candidates to win anything.
1: It's very convenient though. I I mean, I talk about, it's very easy for for the media to talk about generations because you then had this generation from, from the, won the European under 21 championship in, in 2011 and 2013. um, Isco wasn't it? And Koke and and Morata. um, And they didn't, they didn't come through and do what, perhaps was expected of them and you've now got this next generation there's the team that won the the euro under 21s in in 2019 wasn't it the, the, with fabian ruiz danny sabayos um danny olmore Moreno. they're now going through under luis enrique is it is it unfair to put pressure on them um or, or you know just is it perhaps that we just think well these look these guys have actually won things together
0: are we why not expect them to, to carry that on into the senior team well, what you have to say is that they, they, they are winners. So these, uh, these guys have actually won competitions, which is a good sign. And, uh, and what will happen then in a competition that lasts seven games or eight games or whatever, is that a bunch of things have to happen. Uh, you have to have the goal scorer. You have to have the goalkeeper. You have to have the look. You have to have uh, you know, everybody on form. A lot of things have to happen. Uh, perhaps in that those three competitions we kind of took for granted and we thought that all right we've we, we, we've got the formula of the coca-cola now let's, let's do it again and then realize that it just doesn't work like that so it is good that the level of the youth that's coming through is a winning level so players that go into um european championships under 21 under 19 and take it very seriously that's good because that keeps the the standards very very high but then it's the other things that have to mix and and while Del Bosque, for instance, managed to get from 2008 to 2012, every competition changed 30% of the squad while using the same kind of two thirds of it. Uh, Luis Enriquez has come from a different, completely different way of doing it because he doesn't see what we were saying earlier on. He doesn't see that extraordinary bunch of players that could win anyway you play. I mean, You've asked him to play Xavi Alonso in a way that he wasn't used to, he still did it and did it very well. If you had asked to play Busquets, Iniesta, and Xavi in a different way, uh, I don't know, more counter-attacking kind of football, they would have done it and they would have done it really well too. So it was extraordinary, unique, and no, the 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 answer is no. We're not asking the new generations to do the same. It's impossible. Nobody ever did it before. But no. yes, we would like them to be more competitive, and they failed us in three. Three tournaments now. Uh, Brazil was fearful, but you knew you you saw it coming, and Russia was was disappointing because of the circumstances before the start of it. Uh, how, in my eyes, and this is this is my my thing. Others may not think the same, but you could not give the team to Isco. <laughs> you mm. could not give to team the, to Isco. Isco is a player that feels much more comfortable in his own half than where he should be in the hot yeah. parts of the pitch. And that, in that World Cup, that was very obvious. So It was very annoying that all that was happening and we were so predictable and so slow, but we, we, it was our downfall, it was our own fault, really. But we've, we've come to associate,
1: and rightly or wrongly, we've come to associate that, that 2010 team with a, a certain way of playing and associating Spanish football with that style of play. But I guess in, in club football now, you've got a different style of play with a lot more pressing uh, and, and, and national teams starting to adopt that as well. Can we still talk about a a, a Spanish style
0: of football? Is that a
1: legitimate thing to say? Has that just been a a sort of media creation?
0: No, I think there are are still things that that get done. uh, There is the moments of possession uh, you recognise that uh, the Spanish players are really comfortable with. But Luis Enrique is is imposing uh, a very modern approach to to the games. Uh, It's that pressure high that is constant, very risky, like, like, you know, like Bayern Munich did for, 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 for the whole season, last season, Um, just, just put in the defensive line, almost halfway, halfway line. That's very risky, but he wants it like that. Um, At the end, whatever you decide, uh, this is another Spanish way of thinking, I think, whatever you decide on the pitch has to do how, how you interpret life and your role in life and, and what you want from, from your profession and what you want to expose to the world and all those things. And Luis Enrique is like, well, let's, let's, let's go and kill. Uh, you could be dead in the process, but, uh, I just want to die like that. So, uh, we, we embrace that because we recognize that that's uh, that's a very, it's a, it's an advanced way of thinking about the style that made Spain uh, successful, but you cannot, you have to move from there. Yeah. It's taken us a while to do so and we're doing so now.
1: In Barcelona and Real Madrid, you've got the two most, Recognized most popular teams in the planet, but but Spanish football has always been sort of polarized by that the Madrid Barcelona rivalry. It dominates know, yeah, absolutely everything. How does the national team fit into that sort of landscape, which is so polarized that you're either Madrid or you're Barcelona? How do the players put aside that rivalry when when they come to the national team? Can they put aside that rivalry? Is it is it something that's just always
0: there? I think that brought that that. Uh separation, that division has been played big time by the media. More, I would say even more than foreign media and the Spanish media. There was a time where there were political divisions. The past country were going through troubles and, and Catalonia were defending their independence and, um, and that of course, uh, translated into football and media terms, uh, it was, it was a recipe for, for conflict. But you talk to everyone, you know, from Miguel Muñoz, the, the manager that we had in the, in the 80s, to now, and they said they're, they're professionals. They just come in and, mm. and what is it that we have to do? And that's it. I mean, the only crisis, and it's a very famous one, was the one provoked by Mourinho, uh, where, you know, Xavi, Hernández, Iker Casillas, best friends forever, just became the, the biggest enemies. And he had to be a call from... Iker Casillas to charity for that to be sorted. Uh, but that had to do with not so much of the politics behind or what both groups represent. It was just somebody that tried to divide the country to win. Uh, and and apart from that moment, now it's, it's, they're they just mates, because especially more than more in, say, in the last 20 years than ever, because it is a club feel that you have when, when you go with the national side. It is with guys that you were. Since you were 13 or 15 or 17 or whatever, and uh, and then they're just they're just friends first and foremost, which helps to then you know ask them to work as a as a
1: unit. And just finally, uh, Guillaume, what are your thoughts about the finals the in the summer in terms of how far Spain can progress? Is there a is there a target
0: that you think they've got to reach? What's what's the the end game for Spain? It'd be disappointing if Spain are not sem- semi finalists. Really disappointing. And I think once we've uh, beaten the quarterfinal stage, I mean, before we build another another wall full of bricks that you know that uh, that blocks us mentally for another you know 50 years, we should pull it down because we are as good as any other side out there. I mean, favorites is always France because they can fill two teams, uh, and they'll be as competitive. Uh, you know, Germany. You've seen they've gone through their own their own process, their own their own doubts. Uh, Italy as well, a mixture of, of, you know, it's it's interesting to see what they're doing and how much, you know, how much youth they're introducing. So there's no, you wouldn't say there's a clear candidate. Belgium, have been trying it for a while with the same generation, last chance, perhaps alone this one, it could, obviously, obviously, it's down to details, down to the draw, down to so many things, but um, you cannot go to a quarterfinals against any of those sites and think that you're not gonna beat them because Spain can beat anyone at the moment
1: yeah thanks so much for speaking with me it's been a, a pleasure to catch up with you and, and, and hopefully we'll be back in a stadium soon together watching a game together because it's been far too long but thanks so much
0: my pleasure Gabby Anytime.
1: thanks for listening to this podcast if you liked it and you want to find out more there's a new podcast with a different journalist from every single country competing in this summer's European Championship you can find them all wherever you listen to your podcasts don't forget to subscribe and follow this show so you know whenever i release a new episode and you can find out more great sports podcasts on the sports social podcast network just head to sport-social.co.uk this podcast
0: is part of the sports social podcast network